Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Great. I love the smell of my pump in the morning. This is where the fun begins. I don't want to gain another yard. 620 CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. Welcome to the Sports Cage for our friends at Saskatchewan Lotteries. Main fundraiser for over 12,000 sport, culture, and recreation groups are coming to you from the corner of 12th and Rose, back in our regular confines. The cage back home after a week in Los Angeles, Huntington Beach, California, Beverly Hills, surrounding area. It's a great trip. You missed out on a good one. But we've got plans for next year. A couple of spots on the radar. We won't uh, divulge, but Terry from uh, CAA did a great job hosting us, so we'll get into that as uh, we move along. You know, you can text me, 936-6262. Let me know if you're interested uh Coming on a sports cage trip. We got two Ducks games in. No LA Kings, no Lakers, no Clippers in the area, so we couldn't watch any of those games. And of course, the bowl games hadn't started up yet. But uh, we got uh, the Rams and the Raiders on Thursday night, which was uh, and then we had uh, the Ducks and the Carolina Hurricanes, and it was the Ducks winning in overtime. The game I thought Carolina would destroy them and be the boring game. It was actually the good game, and Anaheim won. Uh, then we got another Anaheim game, which I've seen better WHL games, not going to lie to you. Ducks and the Sharks, two bad teams. But Eric Carlson looked great. Manny looked great in Oiler colors if they could ever swing a deal, but they don't have enough money unless they deal Pugliarvi and a bunch of stuff, so who knows? But he looked good, smooth, man. What a great player. And then we got to watch the Rams or the uh, Chargers, pardon me, and the Dolphins. And I'll get into that in a little bit, but we can officially right here end the Tua versus Herbert debate. There is no debate. Justin Herbert is the way better quarterback. Way better. It's not even close. They're not even on the same planet. Like, not even close. And I'll watch it with my uh, two eyes. That Emmanuel Acho, who's the analyst, he actually showed up at SoFi Stadium and was uh, taking his lump. I'll give him kudos because he was calling uh, Justin Herbert the social media quarterback and he's only a social media quarterback and he's not really that good to his way better. So he's apologized that he should. So anyway, we'll get into that in our pick six. We've got a great show lined up. Glenn Suter will join us after uh, 5.30 as he always does. Arash Madani to talk about something he reported way back two months ago on this show. People were, ah, it's not going to happen. But hey, that's why we have Arash on the show. Why this is the number one sports show in the province. Undisputed. Because we got guys like Arash Madani. He came on here and told us there would be a shakeup at the Calgary Stampeders. It's why Mark Mueller stayed in Calgary. Let's be honest. Because Dave Dickinson is now the GM. Mark's going to get to call some plays. he got to raise. He 
he used the Riders to get a raise. I don't blame him. Got a promotion, got a raise, was never coming here. Speaking of the Riders' offensive situation, their coordinator was officially announced, Kelly Jeffrey, running backs coach from last year. Uh, we had a, a conference call with him earlier, our own Blaine Weiland, who's operating the board on the other side. He was involved in that, so he took some questions that Kelly Jeffrey will hear from him. We'll also hear from Normie Fong and Jeff Farrell, two guys from the 89 team, John Gregory. Legendary coach with that, remember that uh, gray, green, and white knit sweater jumping up and down when they won the 89 Grey Cup, passing away at the age of 84. Uh, so those guys will uh, give us their memories and thoughts. We'll talk about a good craft for Christmas toilet. But first, let's get to a couple of uh, things happening in the world of sports. Uh, for NFL fans, you uh, fantasy football people, Kyler Murray is out for the year with the torn ACL. It was a non-contact injury. He went down like somebody hit him with a sniper bullet from the crowd, and he is done. That's not great news. You never want to see great players out, so he is done, and so are the Cardinals if they weren't done before. Um, Messi's final match in an Argentinian shirt at the FIFA World Cup will either end in ultimate heartbreak or triumph. The guy who's never hoisted the uh, World or the uh, yeah, the World Cup trophy scored a penalty and set up another goal to help the Argentinians to a 3 nothing win over Croatia in Qatar. And they'll await the uh, other semifinal game, Morocco and France, I believe. I'm the guy. I'm the guy who said if Canada is not going to win, which we knew they weren't going to win. I had said I like Argentina because I was a Diego Maradona guy back in 1986. Old uh, liquored up Maradona. So, uh, Messi, I hope the old guy can uh, hoist the trophy. I'm cheering for Argentina. And I'm kind of hoping Morocco knocks off France. They're kind of cocky. France kind of cocky. They kind of got that aura about them. That savoir-faire. So I'm going with uh, Morocco. Who are you going with, Blaine? Do you think Morocco beats France? I think France is going to win. They, yeah. I feel like one fit. Like I feel yeah. they're, they're going to win. Feels like Morocco's riding this wave, though, right? The Cinderella Don't story. Don't they feel like the Florida Panthers of 1996 when the rats were uh, raining down? I was going to say the rats flooded the right? ice, yeah. Against Colorado, but maybe you're right. France is Colorado, and they'll end up yeah. beating them. But I want Argentina to win. Don't you want Messi to win it? I want the upsets. To, I do want the upsets to win, so I... You want Morocco to win. I want Morocco to win. But if it's Argentina against France, yeah. I want is Argentina, Argentina, now you're more the soccer guy than me. Is Argentina, would that be an upset? Like, well, is France the powerhouse? I think so. I would believe so, yeah. Okay. Okay. I, Don't quote me. I know Argentina is big. I'm not that big. Biggest soccer guy? But I know that France is one of the dominant yeah. teams. Argentina's up there in terms of the South American squads, I believe. So, mm, yeah. outside of Brazil. Well, you're better looking than me. I'm usually smarter <laughs> than you, but when it comes to soccer, I wouldn't say that. Okay. So, the rider schedule came out today. Everybody plans their weddings and funerals and everything around the rider schedule. So here we go. Uh, I notice we've got two. I think I see it's two Friday night home games, if I'm not mistaken. Friday, June 16th against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And then Friday, September 15th against Chris Jones and the Edmonton Elks. So we've got that game. We've got uh, four Sunday games. Three at home. We've got the BC Lions here August 20th, a 5 o'clock kickoff. We've got Ottawa here uh, against Saskatchewan, a 5 o'clock kickoff, and our other Sunday game. Labor Day. Labor Day, of course, and I think that's gone to a 5 o'clock kickoff, too. So that's a later one. Last year was 2 o'clock, I believe. 2 o'clock? Yeah, it was 2 o'clock. Yeah. That's right. Or was it 4 o'clock? No, it was 4 o'clock because I could go to Nebraska and come oh, back. Oh, that's cool, yeah. That's right. So it was a 5 o'clock kickoff. 
uh, coming up here. We get the Bombers three times. Like, I don't get this. Help me out, Blaine. We get the Bombers three times. We got a bunch of divisional matchups. Now, I will say this positively. We don't have all those stupid back-to-back games, which are boring. But why don't we play every team twice? Like, we don't go to Hamilton, and I believe Montreal Montreal doesn't come here. Like, why not? We have a nine-team friggin' league. It's bad enough we only have nine teams. That's nobody's fault, but that's the one thing the NFL has that we can never compete with. And I'll talk about that more later. We can't compete with their money, and we can't compete with the 32 teams. We've got nine. Why aren't we playing everybody twice? I think if you do play every team twice, then you're setting yourself up for a one-team nine-division, or a, a nine-division one-conference. you know, yeah, one yeah, conference. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what you're doing if you're playing just two teams twice. This way, if you're playing more teams from the West in your own division, you're kind of creating that divisional... You know the yeah, idea. But it's boring. Like, why am I playing the Bombers three times? It should just be two times. You've already got it set up. It's like last year. They had Hamilton and Toronto play four times in five weeks. Totally ruined the Labor Day Classic. Totally ruined it. We've got nine friggin' teams. We should play each other twice. It's a nine-team league. It shouldn't be hard to make a schedule. But maybe... Maybe, and I like to get Craig Reynolds in on this. Maybe it has to do with the fact with money. I don't think the league's telling us all their financial problems. After that COVID year, we're not, it's not all rainbows, gum, and chips. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we're, they're, they're still struggling a bit. And so I think that's what it is. I, I really believe that. Yeah, that's possibly true. I believe, honestly, I think it should just be one division. I think it should just be nine teams, and we should just go from there until we get an even amount of teams. The only problem with that, though, Blaine, and I'm a, I've been an advocate of that. Like, I think one and if you're going that way, one and two get a bye, three plays six, four plays five, seven, eight, nine are out, then you reseed after that first round. I, I don't disagree with that. However... How bad was the East this year? How bad is the East generally? You will lose a lot of interest out East if they're out of the playoff race already. Do you know what I mean? Those teams yeah. were still in the playoff race till the end. That's, and then you'll say, well, because I had said this before. Well, maybe the maybe the crossover team gets to host the playoff game instead of going over there. But then why should the crossover team get to host the game, but the number three team in the West have to go to the number two team? Do you know what I mean? So that's not fair. You can't do that either. No, I agree that the East. There's a potential for the East dropping out. I guess the only thing you hope for is that the, the best game in the end, the championship game, will draw those viewers back in. That's the only hope I think. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So I don't know. How do you feel about it? We got two Friday home games, three Sunday home games, and I believe we have, let's just do the There is one Thursday home game in July. That's right, against uh, Edmonton. That's after the Canada Day long weekend, so there's no game. They got a buy on Canada Day long weekend? Yeah, Uh, right before Labor Day as well. Right before Labor Day. And the last week of the regular season. And the last week of the regular season, which could be good or bad, depending on how you are in the standings, right? It could be an early garbage bag day. Could be. <laughs> it could be. Well, let's hope. Uh, let's hope not, is what I mean. No, let's hope, that's, not. That's, let's hope not. Anyway, that's uh, that's your breakdown of the schedule. 936-6262. You can weigh in on anything. Uh, let us know if you're interested in going on a sports cage trip. If you went on the trip, give us a text. Let us know what you thought. I'll give a shout-out to some of the folks a little later on. When we come back, we got our uh, clutch performance, which is an awesome little segment from... Uh, Mike Leach, the Mississippi State coach who just passed away of a heart attack unexpectedly at the age of 60. One has the little local tie to it. And we'll hear from Normie Fong, his thoughts on John Gregory. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CK. 40 years.
Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Time for our clutch performance, and it's brought to you by our friends at Nelson, uh, pardon me, check that, Nick Service in Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer. Check them out in Emerald Park. Thanks to them for getting on board. Now, our clutch performance has a tinge of sadness to it. And also a local tie. Mike Leach was a long time and pretty successful college coach. He won eight bowl games. He had uh, plus 50 in the win-loss category over his time. I think it was like 158 to 107 in terms of wins versus losses. So almost, uh, you know, it was 51 difference in terms of wins over losses in his career. He coached at uh, Texas Tech Raiders. He coached with the Washington uh, State University Cougars. And he coached with the Mississippi State Bulldogs, I think was his last team. He'd been battling pneumonia. He collapsed at his home the other day from a heart event, a.k.a. a heart attack, and died at the age of 61. He was known for his, uh, what was it, uh, Texas Red Raider offense or something like that, where they threw the ball over the field, right? Like the air raid offense. Air raid offense. Like, he was just throwing the ball all over the field. A lot of coaches, Mark Tressman uh, had a couple of nice things to say about him, a lot of other guys as well. But he was known for great quotes. This one is awesome and has to deal with our own Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Jamal Morrow. Check out this quote, and the and the riders need to listen to this. Listen to Mike Leach. Jamal Morrow should be doing our coin tosses from now on. One of the most screwed up things about this country is the fact that in order to do anything, in order to cross the street, we always have to have a committee, you know, and I said, you know, uh, and so I figure, well, screw the committee. We really only need one guy, and, and, and now he's got to be smart enough to call either heads or tails. That's it. So then I thought about, well, should I get the biggest guy on the team or the littlest guy on the team? And then I thought, well, <clears throat> Jamal Morrow was on The Price is Right and was fairly lucky and went to the final round and almost won the sucker. And it was closest to the price, but he's over by, he's over by like $3. The other person's under by like $60, but since he's over, he loses. And and, and so I figure, well, Jamal Morrow's a lucky guy. Uh, <clears throat> plus, he's got pretty good energy to him and stuff like that. So why not Jamal Morrow? And so then Jamal Morrow goes out and did have an amazing knack for winning the toss. And then, I mean, wins it almost all the time. I mean, literally. I mean, I'm serious about this. I don't know what his record is, but it's something incredible. And then, um, but I don't even really care about that because one way or the other, you get the ball one half or the other, except one time when I played Nebraska. Oh, I'll tell you a story on that in a second. So hold on to your hat. And then, so Morrow goes out there and he had a funny uh, tendency to win. Then I'm thinking, I don't want to sit here and think of and sort out a new guy to do it. So Jamal Morrow has gone out there for the coin toss for about two and a half years, and then we got on a roll, and so then I liked it even better. So there you go. Jamal Morrow should be our coin toss guy from now on, coming from Mike Leach in Washington State University to the Riders. Just re-up. He should be our coin toss guy. Let's go on the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, anytime, a great time to order Western Pizza. And we're joined by former Rider equipment manager and support staff guy, Normie Fung. How are you, Norm? I'm doing fine. Good, man. I know it's a uh, sad time for you as uh, your friend, uh, former coach John Gregory, passing away at the age of uh, 84. When's the last time you saw John? Uh, it was at our reunion that we had. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it was our 40-year reunion or something. Uh, uh, and he was in, you know, he, he was 
at the top of his game. He was very sharp, and and um, you know we met, and there was quite a number of the players uh, uh, showed up in Regina for that, and it was it was like we had never left uh, the team out into the locker room. It was uh, it took all of maybe. 15 minutes and it was just like old times and uh, uh, as always coach Gregory kind of led the led the band so that was the last time that uh, I had seen or talked to him in person but uh, uh, we stayed you know obviously in communication through uh, the internet and that and and uh, you know I was surprised when I heard that he passed away. Yeah, so uh, John Gregory comes here in 1987. He replaced Jack Goda. What, what, what's your first memory of John Gregory? Do you remember a first encounter or something when you're like, oh, look at this guy? Well, I, I think the first encounter with him was um, his intensity. Um, you know, he, 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 uh, he loved golf, teaching golf, and and stuff like that, but he he was really intense once it got to football. And uh, I can remember John on some days uh, when things were slow, he'd go out on the old uh, uh, hill uh, under the scoreboard, and he'd be showing us how to chip golf ball golf <laughs> balls in the end zone, you know. And it was just like two different people. This was, you know, Coach Gregory, the teacher, and and golf pro and 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 then practice would start and he'd put the whistle around his neck and it was a completely different person you know he was all business and just complete passion for football he wasn't much like he he wasn't a headset guy i remember like he didn't have the headset on like we do now he it was almost like he trusted the coaches around him he knew what was going on but he trusted the coaches around him did you get that sense and was he that way with you norm in terms of letting you run your deal because some coaches can uh can be uh, micromanagers as it were no no he was like that you know and uh, at that time, there, we only had six coaches. Yeah, you know, true. he had him and his five assistants. So, yeah, but he he was good as far as uh, uh, letting myself and Ivan, uh, you know, do our thing. If he wanted to do something, uh, he would always come and ask and say, you know, we'd like to try this at practice, or you know, we want to go a day early. What you know, what do we need to do from your end or Ivan's end? Uh, so that we could accommodate that. So he's very accommodating, and, and uh, uh, his that whole era, like his coaching staff and the team, were extremely close. And one of the things that sticks out in my mind was um, I can remember uh, it didn't matter if it was uh, Super Bowl Sunday or Great Cup Sunday or, or the long American long weekend. Uh, he got his coaching staff and all of our office staff together at one of the coaches' houses, and, and we'd have a potluck supper. And uh, we did that pretty much every year that he was there. And that's the only coaching staff that I can remember that did that all the time versus uh, when you know some of the other coaching staffs were there, we would do that maybe at Christmas or at Easter or something. But with uh, 
that particular coaching staff, everybody was really close. Yeah, it's it's interesting you bring that up because I was talking to Cal Murphy once, who I became good friends with, and Cal Murphy hired him in Winnipeg as the old line coach, I believe. Yeah, and and right. one day Gregory comes into Murphy's office and he says, "Coach, I just I got to ask you something. Like, um, do you think we're like how late are we gonna how late are we gonna before he took the job? How late are we gonna practice? Like, are we gonna <laughs> practice? Like, are we gonna be here more than eight nine hours? Because I'm just married, young family, and I you know I I don't know about uh, all the time." commitment that's an, it's a serious question he asked him and Cal Murphy said if you can't get your job done in the eight hours then I hired the wrong guy so I think maybe some of that family atmosphere uh, carried over to Gregory which you just alluded to carried over there with the potlucks and everything like that yeah I think so uh, you know again as I say that coaching staff was really close and and uh, as most coaching staffs are but most coaching staffs don't include um, uh, the office staff in that. And I, again, at that time, uh, our office staff wasn't the same uh, like they have now. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, I mean, the whole office staff with coaches and, and Ivan and myself was probably only 15 or 18. Yeah. Hey, uh, Normie, last question for you. Why was John Gregory, or how big of an impact, now this sounds like a stupid question because he was the head coach, but you guys went through a little bit of turbulence there. Suter gets that pass interference penalty that year against the Joe Galat and the BC Lions. It's kind of yeah. it's kind of circling the drain. How, <laughs> how big was it, how big was John Gregory in keeping that thing on the rails as you guys uh, went on that run in the playoffs? You know, he, again, he, he was like the band leader. And, and uh, I don't know if you remember, he, he brought in a friend of his from Moose Jaw, mm-hmm. um, uh, who kind of was a, like a sports psychologist, uh, which, you know, we, that was a first for us. And, and, and I want to say maybe half of the team believed in him. And the other half didn't with the, you know, taping the yeah. tape on your fingers and that. And the whole 89ers thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, John knew that it maybe didn't help everybody, but it helped some of them. And, and so he, you know, he, he was open to things like that. He wasn't closed-minded. He was open to, uh, you know, uh, say you know believing in certain things and and when you know we got this when Suda got the penalty in that he was one of the first to, to, I can remember to calm everybody down and say you know that's that was just one play you know forget that let's move on and and so uh, I remember him for stuff like that he he always was willing to give somebody a, a, another chance and and. Uh, I know I've ha- I've heard from a lot of the players since John passed, and and uh, a lot of them, you know, say they owe so much to Coach Gregory, and one of them was Bobby Jerson in particular. Yeah, you know where he took chances on some of the smaller people that would normally get passed by, like even Jeff Farrell. So yeah, and we'll have Farrell on here coming up soon. Hey Norm, always great to talk to you. You are a legend in your own right in Rider history. Thanks for your time. Okay, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. That's Norm Fong, Plaza of Honor inductee, former rider equipment manager, one of the builders for this great team. When we come back, we'll hear from the newest offensive coordinator of your Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Kelly Jeffrey. This is the Sports Cage on 620.com. 
Forever 306. This is Saskatchewan's favorite talk show, The Sports Cage, on 620 CKRM. Our text line is powered by Capital GMC Buick Cadillac at the corner of Rochdale and Pasqua. Blaine, what do you got there on the text line at 936-6262? From Clayton from Wishard, Gary Gary Gregor was the sports psychologist that worked with John Gregory. Yeah, when they put the tape on the finger, uh, you know... uh, reminding them of the great cup run, called themselves the 89ers, and they went on to win it. We got a quick comment from Glenn Suter. I'm sure he talked about it yesterday about John Gregory when he was on the show with you guys. But, oh, uh, he talked about the pass interference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, let us uh, talk about something new in Rider Nation. That would be Kelly Jeffrey, the new offensive coordinator of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Our own Blaine Wildman was on a Zoom call with him with other reporters. Here's how it sounded. Yeah, just first of all, um, man, I'm, I'm so excited to be a part of Rider Nation. Um, it is the flagship organization in the CFL. And uh, growing up in the U.S., you know, um, my parents are from Texas. And uh, you you get the lore of Texas football and follow the Dallas Cowboys and uh, big-time universities down there. And to me, that's, that's what this organization is. And there's no place I'd rather be. And um, I just wanted to say thank you to my family, um, my wife and kids who, make incredible sacrifice that I can go out and, and get my dream job. And, uh, and this is it. This is my dream job. So I'm excited to be a part of Rider Nation and, and can't wait to have 2023 get here. Uh, ever since I was in, you know, grade school growing up, I would, I would doodle plays and draw plays and, uh, you know, football has been my life, um, since I can really remember. And so having a chance to do it on this stage, um, is everything you get the opportunity to, um, you know, be judged fully on your merits. And, um, you know, in those years where you're in college football and sometimes you're at a recruiting disadvantage, um, you know, maybe a money disadvantage, you don't fully always feel like you have all the resources to do what you want to do. Um, but here there's no excuses. Um, we've got the resources. Um, we're going to put together a roster that can get the things done. So now I'll be judged on, um, how I do. Can I motivate? Can I inspire? Can I put guys in the right position to be successful? And if I can, it's, it's all going to work out. You expand on, on your relationship with Scott Milanovic. I believe he's the one who brought you to the CFL back in 2016 and you were supposed to be on his staff in 2020 there. Sure. Uh, Scott and I are friends. Um, he's someone who uh, I got connected through uh, another coach in the CFL named Jonathan Heimbach. He introduced us and um, I felt like we hit it off right away. Uh, he was somebody that while I was with the Argos, even though I was special teams coordinator, um, we would talk, have long talks about um, the organization, the process of winning, uh, how to get better. Um, I, I really respected him as a leader and thought he was did a great job. And I felt like he confided in me and and trusted what I would have to say about um, coaching. Just uh, having been a head coach myself, we could have those conversations. And um, and in 2020, when he reached out, um, you know, it was a no brainer. I I wanted to be a part of his staff again. And uh, and for someone like Scott, who had um, been a play caller, quarterbacks coach, played quarterback in the NFL, um, quarterbacks coach with the Jaguars prior to that to entrust me with uh, going to be the uh, quarterbacks coach in 2020 uh, that meant the world to me. Um, I, I really felt like it was a stamp of approval of um, of how I, I coach quarterbacks and my 
philosophies and thought process. And at the time, the quarterback was going to be Trevor Harris. And um, to have those things all kind of line up, I I felt very strongly that um, I was in the right place. And so um, having that relationship's been important. And uh, he's he's been a, a good champion for me in my career. And um, I, I've got nothing but the world of respect for Scott. In a season that's going to have very high expectations because the offense took the brunt of the criticism from fans and everyone around how do you deal with the high expectations? What are you going to bring to the table? I, I'm really, really excited about the challenge. And um, I, I'm one who looks for challenges. My my first head coaching job, they had had one winning season in 34 years when I took over. Uh, my second head coaching job at Mount Allison, I took over a team that was three wins and 45 losses over the last 48 games and, and had a hundred point loss uh, in their recent history. And so um, I, I don't look for established um, organizations. I don't look for somebody who, um, you know, everything's rolling. I, I don't want to follow up a legend and have things easy. Um, I see um, opportunity and I see an opportunity to improve greatly. And um, when I look at the writers and our struggles that we had last year, um, I believe I can help. And so um, I think I'm going to bring good leadership, um, positive attitude. Um, I'm going to put guys in position to be successful. Um, and we're going to work really hard to get playmakers the ball in, in ways that, that they can do damage on offense. And so um, I, I think I bring those things. I, I don't get too far away usually in my mind, uh, remembering that it's players, not plays. And so we're going to do our best to make sure those guys get fed the ball and uh, do things the right way. And then um, I'm not sure if you saw, but a couple weeks ago when, when Morrow had signed uh, or re-signed, they had asked him about you because it was kind of rumored that you might be moving into this position. And they asked, you know, his opinion on that and about you. And he had really great things to say um, and was excited if you were going to move into this position. So what can you say about the camaraderie that you've already built on offense with some of these guys? Yeah, I, I, that meant the world to me. And uh, Moro is a, a, a great player and a great person. Um, and um, it matters. And, and, and relationships matter in this business. I, I know sometimes in the professional game, people think it doesn't matter as much, but it, it really does. And so you've got to get these guys um you know, you got to earn their trust. And I've always uh, kind of believed in that mantra of you can push a, a player as far as they trust you. And so you've got to build trust first. And in our running back room, those fullbacks and running backs, um, you know, I, I was on their side. I, I was, I felt like I was the, the head coach of the running backs, which, you know, Craig always really supports and wants you to be. And um, I did my best to establish trust and believe in those guys and, and work with them in a, in a partnership and um, and not, you know, kind of that old school coaching style where, you know, you're a yeller and a screamer. I'm, I'm not always that. There are times for that. But for the most part, um, I want to work with those guys in a partnership and, and get them to be the best that they can be. And I think, you know, I think uh, Jamal saw that and uh, appreciated that. Uh, um, you know, I, I wanted him to be the best he could be, and he trusted me. And, and at that point, I'm, I was able to push him and challenge him uh, to be better. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing you next season. Congrats. Thank you, Britt. You want Cody Fajardo back as your starting quarterback? Cody's a good player, and we've got history together. I, when, coincidentally, uh, when I was in uh, Toronto in 2016, um, he was my personal protector for a while uh, on the punt team. And so he was someone that, 
a long time ago, I kind of identified as um, a strong athlete um, who was versatile and, and could do a lot of stuff. And so, um, you know, I've, I've kind of through that known Cody for a long time. Um, all of these quarterbacks that we're um, evaluating and identifying can be successful. And, and Cody is one of those. Like I, I like his style of play. Um, and I, you know, over 17 years of coaching quarterbacks, I've had pocket passers who, who could launch it downfield. I've had athletic guys. I've had a little bit of everything. I'm, I'm kind of a believer that um, you take the offense and you bend it around the quarterback and not the other way around. And and if Cody were to be the guy, um, we would win games and we'd win a great cup and uh, we would bend that offense to things he could do really well. Um, and um, all the names we're looking at, I think, can be successful. It's just got to be the right fit. And uh I, I know with everybody talking about the offensive line this last year, you know, um, we got to be able to, to help those guys out. And, and quarterback play is one of those things that, that we can do better at. And, and Cody can play better. He'll be the first one to tell you that, um, you know, he'll, he's going to get healthy as well, which is going to be another huge factor in his career. And so, um, yeah, he can be really successful. He's, he's a good quarterback. It's been widely reported that you weren't the first choice for this role. Uh, does that add fuel to your fire to be successful at it? Yeah, it does. I'm, I'm, I'm very fired up. I'm pumped about it. I'm going to hold that as fuel tight to me. And um, as, you know, people turn this down, um, I think if, if they're so great, then then the circumstances about this organization shouldn't matter. Um, if they're worried about, you know, the head coach or GM, their status, those things shouldn't matter if um, if you think you're you're the guy for the job. I think I'm the guy for the job. Those things don't concern me at all. Um, we're going to move this thing forward. I'm pumped. I cannot wait to get started. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm betting on myself. And if you bet on yourself and the outside factors, they don't ring true. Last season, it seemed, uh, especially in the second half, uh, Coach Moss would maybe get away from the run game, even if it had been working in the first half. Uh, after he was relieved, Craig told us that he was looking to attack that and have more of a run-heavy game going into the 23 season. Was that part of your pitch to Craig as uh, you took over? Yeah, so I, I think you got to attack on a, on a broad front. Um, I think your playmakers need to touch the ball. Um, but yeah, the, the run game is very important. Um, there are very, very, very few games you win where the last play of the game isn't a run, whether you're trying to work the clock, whether you're trying to get two, three first downs, um, you know, to, to seal a victory, if you cannot run the ball, uh, you're going to have a hard time closing games. And so running the ball is going to be very important. Now we're going to be smart about it. Um, we're going to make sure, like I said, we're going to attack on a broad front. Uh, we're going to uh, do our best not to run into a loaded box and uh, and try and clean those things up for our run game so we can get more explosives. I'd like to average, if we can, um, as always, uh, a higher yards per carry than we did. And if we can do those things, um, yeah, it, the run game is going to be part of it um, for sure. It has to be. As you're sitting in with potentially with Craig and Jeremy, as you guys are looking through quarterbacks, what would be part of your pitch to a prospective quarterback that you want to coach next season in Saskatchewan? Uh, we're going to put you in a position to be successful. I, I, I said earlier, I coached quarterbacks for 17 years. Um, I've had pocket passers be all conference. I've had running style quarterbacks be all conference. I've had uh, guys who are great decision makers and, and maybe not have a strong arm or be athletic uh, be all conference. So um, 
we're going to put them in a position to be successful. We're going to do the things that they do well, and we're going to make sure they're protected. And uh, we're going to do that a variety of ways. Uh, why Mount Allison? I looked at all that American American experience and you kind of show up in a Canadian city. Why did you end up going there? Um, I had a, a weird situation. I, I was at West LA College and um, our athletic director was going to take over as the football coach. He decided not to, and I was going to be his offensive coordinator. And, and I had actually gone all the way out there, found a place to live, started recruiting, and um, it came down that he, he wasn't going to coach after all. And I, I could have stayed on staff, um, but um, I decided not to. So my wife and I, uh, things were getting serious, and we were in that stage of trying to figure out if she was going to come to California, if I was going to come out to New Brunswick. And uh, she mentioned that um, Mount Allison University, which was in New Brunswick, had a, a university sport football team. And, um, you know, as, as the story goes, she said they're, they're pretty bad. And I said, well, you go around long enough, teams cycle up, cycle down. And she said they lost at like 100 to zero. And I just thought, there's no way that can be true. And I got online, and, and sure enough, they got me 105 to zero. And um, so I thought I can help. So I called and said, do you have a position open? And they said, yep. And uh, I, I imagine they probably had a lot of positions open at that time. But uh, I got uh, to be a part of that organization starting in 2006. So I came on up. How much did your, your time with the, with the Mounties influence your your life as a coach in the CFL? Uh, it was huge. I had the opportunity um, to experiment on a lot of different ways, whether it was in, with the special teams um, that we did, whether it was with an offensive style. Um, one of the things that when, when you play for a program that's kind of been beaten down and, and lost some hope, you know, if you go try something wacky on the football field, they just kind of shrug. You know, if, if you're a dynasty and you do something a little bit crazy, everybody, you know, says, geez, what are you doing? That's nuts. You can't do that. And, and you might be in jeopardy of losing your job. But with little expectations and, uh, you know, not a lot of hope, um, we could go try some things that, um, you know, maybe seemed different or unusual or unique. And uh, within that, you learn a ton. And so I was able to um, kind of have a little bit of a, a training ground or um, an experimental ground there for a while until we found our groove and, and learned what was successful, what wasn't successful. And, um, and so that was you know, really, really big for me to to have those opportunities. And when I was uh, an OC with the East West Bowl, um, I would do the same thing. We we would each off season, you know, you experiment, you study programs. I would find plays that I was curious about, and I would go to the East West Bowl and I would I would try some new pass plays, some new run plays, see how they work, and have that opportunity to to see what works in the CFL. What type of things um, can transfer from the U.S. to the Canadian game? Because not everything does. Not everything apples to apples in terms of scheme and those things and so trying to um, implement some of those and, and have that opportunity to fail and, and then come out the other side was extremely valuable uh, what internally it felt like forever uh, you know I, I gotta be honest it it, uh, it it felt like a long time and, and mostly because you know you know, I was part of the season where with a week or two to go, we we knew we weren't in the playoffs. And so um, it, it kind of prolonged it for me. So as the season wrapped up, Craig had uh, mentioned he would like to uh, bring me in to interview. And so um, 
you know, there was not only the time period y'all just went through waiting uh, as interviews played out, there was my own extra, I think, week or so where um, I had to wait for that first interview. And so, um, yeah, it, it felt like a long time, but Craig was very open all the way through and uh, communication was good. And, um, you know, it's always hard to be patient when you really want something. And uh, and I, I kind of along the way, you have those feelings of, um, you know, did I do well in the interview? Did it, you know, did it come across well? Um, but I just kind of kept telling myself, no matter what, if I got the job at the end of the day, um, all that would go away. I wouldn't care. Um, I, I'd be as pumped as ever, and, and I am. Time to talk NHL. Now back to your favorite sports talk show, The Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Yes, and our sports tickers brought to you by Bronco Plumbing and Heating, uh, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right, 781-2090. They are also proud sponsors of our Good Crap for Christmas Toilet, which is moving around town from business to business. We thank you for taking it on. If you'd like the toilet, you can text me. Uh, at 936-6262, that's our text line. I'll get the toilet out to you, courtesy of uh, Curtis at Carrie's Moving. It's made the rounds. It's been at the Mercury Cafe, Sinfully Sweet Cathedral Bakery, Iggy's Construction at their Christmas party, raised a bunch of money. Uh, was that at Butcher Boy's Meats on Park Street? Where else was it here? Curtis Jerome uh, sent me some texts. He's uh, the guy who's moving it around town. Uh, also, it was at... Uh, Tega Building Products, Gentech took it on as well, Shannon's Pub and Grill. So it's been around. If you'd like the toilet, all money raised goes to the Sophia House Women's Shelter. We're doing it for one more week. This time tomorrow, or this time next week, we'll wrap it up. So uh, 936-6262, or you can email me directly, mball, harvardmedia.com. With trade rumors circling around him for the past few weeks, Canucks captain Bo Horvat released a statement through the team on Tuesday. I'm focused on the season and playing for the Canucks, helping the team in any way I can. I will not have any further comments this year about his future. Apparently, according to Peter Lebrun, TSN Hockey Insider, Canucks made his camp a new offer a couple of weeks ago that was rejected, adding the team is focused on the trade market between now and the deadline, March 3rd. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman uh, and Bill Daly, the uh, Deputy Commissioner, met with Canadian actor Ryan Reynolds to discuss his interest in being part of the Ottawa Senators ownership group. More than a dozen buyers interested in the team. The NHL salary cap projected to rise by just $1 million to $83.5 million for next season, said the Commish. 12 games in the NHL tonight, including Edmonton at Nashville. Back-to-back for them. They were in Minnesota last night, lost a tough 1-2-1. Anaheim home to Toronto. Leafs should win that one. I watched the Ducks. They are not very good. And the Knights are at the Jets. Jets are on fire. Ross Stripling returning to California. 33-year-old righty signing a two-year $25 million deal, leaving the Jays for the San Francisco Giants. Blaine Wild and my buddy here across the board's got on a San Francisco hat. Now, is that a Giants hat? It's, it's a red it, hat. It's a Giants logo, but it's got like more, it's red. So it's, yeah. it's like a 49ers color. So yeah, what is it? You're screwing me up here. Is that a Giants or a 49ers hat? It can be both. Oh, look at that. Look at you <laughs> saving your money. Uh, double dip in there. Cards quarterback Kyler Murray out for the season with a knee injury. Five games in the NBA. Uh, Golden State at Milwaukee and the Raptors are off 
losers of five of their past seven. Boston and the Lakers in a classic matchup tonight in L.A. Lakers aren't very classical. The Elks are making a grand proclamation about their 2023 home opener against our Rough Riders, which goes down on, uh, that would be uh, Sunday, June, June 11th. 11th. That's right. The Elks launched a limited number of guaranteed win tickets to their regular season home opener on that day. A limited number of P1 section tickets will be sold as guaranteed win tickets. If you buy them, they'll entitle you to that same ticket for no additional charge for every game that season until the Elks secure a home win. So if you buy the ticket to the Ryder game, our Riders go in there, kick their butts, you get those same tickets for the next home game, which would be a rematch or a game against the Argos, Great Cup champs, and so on and so forth till Edmonton wins. Edmonton has not won a Commonwealth Stadium since October 12th, 2019, when they beat the BC Lions 19-6. to So it already gets the juices flowing for the big game. Blaine Wyland, I'm going to give you credit for this. You pointed this out. Now, we heard Kelly Jeffrey there. Yep. People, I got a text at 936-6262. Ballsy, what do you think of the offensive coordinator uh, hire, if you want to call it that, from Mark? Well, he wasn't the first choice, but perception is everything and facts are negotiable. My grandpa told me this. Mark Mueller, I wanted him to be here because then I would probably cement Bo Levi Mitchell coming here. But we saw what happened. Arash Madani talked about it a month ago, two months ago. John Hoffnagel's going upstairs as president. Dave Dickinson takes on more. So Mark Mueller now will get to call some plays. So Mark Mueller gets to call some plays without having the pressure of being the OC in an uncertain time in Ryder Nation. Don't even know who the quarterback is. He gets a raise to say stay somewhere where he's been for 10 years. No-brainer. Gahari Jones was never coming here. He was going with Bob Dice if Dice got the job. Dicer walked in, said, Gahari's my OC. Boom. Package deal. So those two guys were never coming here. So take it off the table. Pete Costanza, they never got down to contract talks, I don't think. Pete Costanza wasn't leaving Toronto. He wanted a raise. And his girlfriend didn't want to leave. So he wasn't coming here. And Kelly Jeffrey, as you guys asked him in the Zoom call, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's going to come in here now. He's a new offensive coordinator. Hmm. Wouldn't Bo Levi Mitchell, Blaine Wyland, like to work with a guy that would be into collaboration? They could work on the playbook kind of as equals? And the one thing that Jeffrey said he wants to add to the Riders' offense this year that wasn't in the offense last year, he felt, he said during the interview, was the deep ball. Okay. So, now if he wants to win a great cup, Probably an easier route for Bo Levi. No, it is an easier route to go with Hamilton because you have an easier chance to get out of the East. But I think even more important than winning the Grey Cup is kicking Calgary's ass. If he's the Hamilton quarterback, he only gets to play Calgary once this year in Hamilton. He doesn't even get to go to Calgary. You pointed that out. Give me some of that, brother. That's a good point. So... With Saskatchewan, he gets to play Calgary once here and twice in Calgary's old stomping grounds. I would say, ding, check mark in the Riders box. So it's not a done deal with Hamilton. I can tell you for free, he's going to free agency. The Riders still have a chance. And the old schedule works in their favor. 936-6262. What do you think about uh, the Riders? Jeffrey, going forward, give the guy a chance. An American that went to a Canadian school to be a head coach. Man, he's got a great resume. And the one position that we were good at last year, besides linebacker, was running back.
We had great running backs. Who is our coach? Give the guy a chance. I mean, you gave Ballsy a chance as the voice of the Riders. Didn't that turn out well? Never mind. Go to break. We'll be back. I love the smell of my pump in the morning. This is where the fun begins. I don't want them to gain another yard. 620 CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day. Michael Ball with you in the Big Chair Shows brought to you by Saskatchewan Lotteries, the main fundraiser for over 12,000 sport, culture, and recreation groups. I'm joined on the other side of the board in our control room at the corner of 12th and Rose and Snowy Regina by Blaine Weiland from our sports department. He'll chime in in a little bit here. Our text line's powered by Capital GMC Buick Cadillac. 936-6262, the number to text, and all our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, anytime, a great time to order Western Pizza. Moving the Chains, our regular popular segment on the pregame show with Plaza of Honor and Duck D and one of my favorite riders of all time, number 18, Jeff Farrell. He joins us now on the phone. I want to talk about his former coach, John Gregory, but I want to get to a couple of current CFL topics before that, Jeff, if you wouldn't mind. I know it might be throwing a curve at you, but you're smart. We've done many shows together. Uh, so here we go. Um, the NFL has it right when it comes to marketing and all that type of thing. I like our game better. I'll get into more of that in our pick six. Our game is way better. I just came from L.A. where there were two NFL games I watched, and yes, they have superior athletes from about one to seven, but the rest of the roster is the same. I've said it forever. Guys I've talked to that have played in both leagues. Our game is better. It is more exciting. We just don't have the marketing thing down. We can't compare dollar-wise, but there are little things we can do, Jeff. Like this, for instance. When the NFL releases their schedule, and kudos to the CFL for having it out early. Sometimes it's really late. I think this might be one of the earliest times they've ever had it out, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's right, you know, it, it seems like at least they're getting better in that aspect. But the Toronto Argonauts, who won the Grey Cup, aren't even playing in week one of the regular season. They have a bye. That would never happen in the NFL. They would have them home field advantage week one. Like, it's the little things the CFL can't seem to get right. Yeah, they can't seem to get out of their own way a lot of times. You know, it's like we are like a cockroach. You can't kill us. So as much as they keep stepping on their own toes, it's, it's just kind of odd. I didn't know that, that they had a bye. I looked at the Saskatchewan uh, schedule and I kind of like it, but, you know, not playing each team twice is a bit of a mistake as well. I know they like to do the, you know, heavy on the Western Conference, which is, I guess, okay too, but, you know, I prefer to uh, to play both teams twice, home, at least home and away. Do you think some of that, though, Jeff, has to do with the league not being in great financial shape right now coming back from a pandemic and they're not really talking about it much. I, I, I'm not saying I know anything inside, but maybe it's more to do with controlling your costs in terms of playing teams closer to you travel-wise? Well, I can't I can't imagine that. I mean, they are, tra- they are chartering everywhere now. They've got Saskatchewan, um, they've got Saskatchewan and Toronto on a, on a neutral field, I understand. So, I don't know. I mean, I can't believe they're that petty uh, and that cheap to, to do that, but you know, who knows? I mean, I'm not I'm not privy to any of those conversations. And, you know, maybe it's just a scheduling conflict with the, with the stadium or something. Who knows? So let's ha- let's um, 
let us handicap the Bo Levi Mitchell sweepstakes. Hamilton brought him in. He was wooed. They like him. He likes them. They got a solid coaching staff. The Riders coaching staff a little bit in flux. They got a new offensive coordinator. A first-time guy. But I would say that would kind of intrigue Bo Levi Mitchell in terms of Bo wants to have more say in the playbook. He wants to have more of a partnership with his offensive coordinator. I think that lines up well. And then Jeff Fairholm. I look at the schedule, and I see the Saskatchewan Rough Riders play the Calgary Stampeders, as it was pointed out by my buddy Blaine Weiland here. They play them three times, once here, twice in Calgary, his old stomping grounds. He only plays the Calgary Stampeders one time in Hamilton. Check mark in the Riders' box, in my opinion. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, who knows what Bo is thinking? I mean, he's he's at the tail end of his career, at, and granted, he's still got a lot of a lot of life in that arm, and he's got a lot of experience. Um, I don't know what he's thinking. I've heard I've heard him say more than once that he wants to join TSN when his playing career is over. Um, being in Hamilton or Toronto uh, would make sense from that perspective. Um, he also said he wants to play in a in a city where it, where football matters. Um, so it matters in Hamilton, matters in Saskatchewan. Uh, you know, it's all rumor and conjecture at this point. Um, I don't know anything about Kelly Jeffries, um, but uh, you know, does would a quarterback want to go and play for a first year coordinator? I'm not sure. Um, you know, if, if Bowie Brown Mitchell comes in, he could be uh, he could be a co coordinator in some ways, like like Austin was with us. Yeah, and I'm um, glad you, and, a coordinator as well. And I'm glad you brought up that name. Ken Austin is a guy that had the thick skin. He didn't care. Yeah, he 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 did his talking on the field. Maybe he did it in the huddle too. You know that more than me. But this guy, <laughs> this guy here, didn't care what the fans thought. He only cared what he thought. And Bo's a lot like him in that regard. And I think Bo, you know, Kent was hands on. He was almost your de facto OC at times. I think that's kind of what Bo wants to get to. So I, I kind of, I do kind of draw a parallel between those two guys that way yeah i do too uh i've, I've met Bo a few times and he's super nice and as is kent in person um but you know as a quarterback you have to be a bit of a <laughs> i can't say it on the air but you have to be a bit of a jerk sometimes mm-hmm. and you have to you have to want to you know it's sort of you and nobody else and you have to take control and that's sometimes what a leader has to do and i think Bo has that and might i say i think that's what that's what that's what Pajardo is missing yeah, I've, I've said that too. In fact, I said it on the air and I got blocked by the quarterback because of that on social. So whatever, I say it, I just say it like I see it. Uh, Jeff Fairholm joining us here, Plaza of Honor inductee, one of the great receivers in Rough Rider history. So 1987, Jack Goda is gone. In comes John Gregory. What was your first memory of John Gregory? You know, uh, he was a player's coach and I know, when, I know people say that and it's a, it's a bit of just a saying now, but... Uh, he took me under his wing right away. I was a rookie coming in, and uh, the first time I met him was when I first landed uh, in Regina as, as a rookie. And he, he brought me in, and the first thing he did was he had me go out to dinner with um, with Tom Burgess and Dave Ridgway, and we became great friends. And, you know, from that point on, uh, you know, he was just someone who was always there. He was He was a real player's person. He was a person's person. He cared about people first. And he cared about the locker room. You want to talk about culture? I'll tell you what. We had a culture in the locker room, and that's because of the types of players that they brought in. It wasn't because of, of anything else. But they brought in great players. They did their backroom check. 
And John had a way of, of managing us, and he listened to people. He didn't always didn't always do what we suggested or anything, but he listened to people, and, and he managed us in, in just a, in a great way. He's just a terrific man. You know, sometimes Jeff Farum, when you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterbacks. Can divide a locker room, okay? Right? How yeah. did how did John Gregory walk that tightrope to keep the locker room together? Because let's be honest, there was Burgess guys, there was Austin guys. He's the head of the ship. How did he? keep everything on the rails that way it comes down to one thing Balzi, communication he communicated with us he told us what he was thinking he told us what he was going to do there was no uh gee i wonder what the coach is going to do tomorrow it, it was all about communication i'll tell you a quick story i was you know in training camp i was uh, slated i was there with the first team it was pretty much right from the get-go and I got into a bit of a slump, and he called me into his office, in that sort of office, into his dorm room, if you will, and, and he basically had a chat with me and said, look, you're going to play. You're going to start. Don't worry about it. Relax and go out there and have fun. And, you know, no other coach would do that. And there's just so few coaches that, that you have in your lifetime that really make a difference. And, and this guy just communicated. He brought people into, their, into his office he chatted with them. He told them what was going on. He understood your family. He knew, he knew everything about me. He knew everything about my family. He's just, just a great man. And that's, it comes down to communication. That's how we keep a locker room together. This is Jeff Fairholm joining us, reflecting not only on the CFL, but uh, John Gregory's time with the Rough Riders. Of course, the legendary coach passed away back in, uh, uh, well, last week and uh, was definitely instrumental in winning in 1989. Did you buy into the whole 89ers thing he had with uh, Gary Greger and the tape finger and everything like that? that uh half and half <laughs> let's say like i was it was only my second year so i kind of did what i was told and i always did what i was told but especially as a second year i think it helped john more than anything to be honest with you i think uh i think coach needed needed something to to, to pin it on um you know, he was a, he was a man of two personalities right he was almost like jacqueline and Hyde. he was he was always super nice but boy when he got angry he got angry and i think he just i think he kind of needed something to to help settle the team down and he just he kind of ran out of maybe ideas i don't know but the whole gary gregor thing i, I didn't quite buy into but uh but hey, you know it worked for some and not for others but you know what it was a team thing and i wore the tape in my finger like everyone else did you you got to be genuine as a coach or people won't believe you but do you think a good head coach needs to have that jerk element about him like the kind of walk you know mike o'shea I hear he gets along with the guys, but they know uh, he could be a jerk. Ryan Dinwiddie, bit of a kind of a loose cannon at times, like, you know, walks the edge. Uh, maybe Dave Dickinson isn't the jerk, but everybody knows John Huffnagel's kind of got that, you know, it, the buck stops with me mentality. Do you need a guy like a John Gregory? He could be nice, but look out, don't cross the line. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the term jerk, but I would certainly say that, you know, he had the authority, but he had a, he had a way of being... You know, being almost your friend at the same time. You know, he wasn't your friend, of course, and you knew that. But, you know, he, he was able to put his arm around you and, and, uh, and probably tell you things of what it was like and how it is. And But he could also get quite angry with you. And, and everyone knew that, you know, if you crossed or did something wrong or, or didn't do something right in the locker room or whatever, he was going to come down and he made decisions um, quickly. 
and he made decisions very decisively, and um, and they were usually the right ones. But he also listened to people too. Yeah. But no, he, he, I wouldn't say you have to be a jerk, but I think you you have to be able to, to bring the hammer down when it needs to. Lastly, Mr. Fairholm, do you remember during that playoff run, either when you guys were banged up and won in Calgary, or of course the epic win in Edmonton? We know the greatest great cup ever played. I still think was the '89 one. Was there a speech? Was there something he did that kind of helped you get uh, through that all? Nope, nope. He never gave us big speeches. He, um, he, you know, just little things like "Let's go, we're prepared." And you know, he wasn't a big speech guy. Um, he let his coaches coach, but um, the biggest thing he did was was pull us along as a team and kept the the unity in the locker room the way, the way that we needed to have it. And he got us he got us to believe, you know, just by by little things and telling us, you know, look at this and look at this and look at this and just little itty bitty things he would he would have us uh, focus on that brought us together as a team. We had no drama in that locker room, and that's that's what you need. That's what you need as, as a team. You know, the only drama we had was when was when Hogard lost at Hearts and we were playing cards before practice. Okay. <laughs> hey, uh, it's really amazing when you look back at that roster like you had like six seven coaches that's it now in the NFL they got like 20 uh, back in the CFL heyday they had like 15 16 17 when Jones was here I think it's down to like 10 now or whatever uh it was amazing to do what you did with that uh, that limited coaching it was amazing it was a different time I mean you know the whole the whole organization was basically yeah, it was all community based we had really no corporate structure if you think about it our president was was uh, was volunteer. And, you know, we had Bill Baker, <laughs> who was pretty harsh at times, but you know, it was a different time. And, you know, people could walk into the locker room and sit with us. And, you know, it was just a, a different time where it wasn't all corporate, corporate, corporate. It was always, you know, it was very community-based. And I'm not saying it has to be that way now, but I, I think it needs to be somewhere more in the middle. And um, it was just uh, it was just a different time. We had, what, five coaches, I think, or six coaches yeah. or something like that. Yeah, it was yeah. amazing. Crazy. Lastly, I'll just give the floor to you here for the end. How would you uh, how would you like to remember John Gregory? Well, I want to remember John. And, you know, the last time I saw him was uh, me and Kenny Moore and Jeff Bentram uh, played golf with John at Kananaskis about three years ago, just before COVID, and we got rained out. Now, <laughs> what kind of would remember him? You know, standing in the fairway looking like a drowned rat or a drowned Barney Rubble, if you will. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was his nickname, yeah. That's how I'm going to remember him. He's a great man. I love him. Awesome, man. Uh, thank you for your time, Jeff. Have yourself a good rest of the week, okay? My pleasure, Bobby. Take care. Awesome. Jeff Fairholm joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline, one of the great riders from that 89 Great Cup run. When we come back, a pick six. My thoughts in the NFL. You can agree, you can disagree. 936-6262, the number to text. Glenn Suter, Rash Madani on deck two. This is the Sports Cage on 620s. It's time to talk curling. We've got it all. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Six with Ballsy and friends as they give their take on six sports topics of the day. 
Well, I'm back from the sports cage trip, courtesy of CAA. Thanks to Terry and his lovely wife, Renee, for hosting us on the trip. We'll get to some more mentions of the people on that trip throughout the show. One of the games we watched was the Sunday nighter between Miami and the Los Angeles Chargers. Can we just end the Tua versus Herbert debate? From what I saw with my own eyes, Justin Herbert's the way better quarterback. He only had about three or four times where he could throw from a clean pocket, and the guy still threw for almost 400 yards. He has thrown for more yards in the first three seasons of a quarterback's career in the NFL than anybody else ever. Now, I don't like to use those stats too much because I still think Dan Marino's the best of all time. Back when he played, you could mug a receiver. Now he can barely touch them. But still, Herbert, way better than Tua. In fact, if I was ranking the top five quarterbacks right now, and people don't agree, but I don't care. This is my list, not yours. Not gospel, but I usually think I'm right because usually I am right. Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL, followed by Justin Herbert. You say Herbert over Allen? Herbert has no O-line, mostly hurt. His receivers, the two big guys, Williams and Allen, only played together and finished the game together for the first time last game, all season, into week 14. His defense is trash, and his team is still very much in the playoff mix because of him. That's why he's number two. Josh Allen is three. Joe Burrow, Joe Cool is four. Rodgers is five. And Jalen Hurts, who I'm not totally sold on right now, is six. Number two, sources say Tom Brady hasn't ruled out playing again next year. First, he needs to spend some time with his kids during the offseason to see if they've gotten any less annoying. Let's be honest. But 2019 Brady is very similar to 2022 Brady. Brady's thrown it 109 times in the last two games. And people are looking at his numbers and are saying, maybe he's done. Well... When you think about it, he's probably better than a third of the quarterbacks in the NFL. In 2019, when the Patriots moved on from terrific Tom, his numbers are similar to what they are now. Brady's completion percentage was 61% in 19. In 2022, it's 66%. His yards per attempt, 6.6 yards in 2019, 6.2 yards in 2022. His QBR rating was 55.7 back in 2019. This year, it's 51. And his touchdown to interception ratio, 24 to 8 or 3 to 1 back in 2019. And his touchdown to interception ratio this year is 17 to 5. So I would be hesitant to say Brady's going to retire. Who knows? The rumor is he could end up with Belichick next year to wrap things up in New England. Number three, you could make a case that the Patriots are the worst team in the AFC East. Buffalo won, Miami probably two, although they didn't really pass the eyeball test Sunday with our sports cage observers when we were in L.A. at SoFi. Number three, the New York Jets. Their defense is outstanding. They fly around, they make plays, they're a real pain in the butt for opposing teams. Josh Allen, what, he passed for like 140 yards in the rain and the snow. And how about his rival quarterback, Mike White, who's his buddy? They both went to the Manning Passing Academy together and were roomies there. I'll tell you what, Mike White got carved in half. That Milano guy linebacker absolutely folded him like a cheap tent, but Mike White with broken ribs came back in the game, and I'll tell you what, if he can get the Jets to the playoffs and keep playing competitively, he's going to be the starting quarterback in New York next year. I like that guy. Mike White! And he said his, his name's so vanilla, nobody ever just calls him Mike. They always call him Mike White. Well, he is a household name after that gutsy performance in Buffalo in that loss. 
Number four on the pick six. Big question. Is Brock Purdy good or is it just Kyle Shanahan's system? Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, last pick in the draft has come on in relief with Jimmy Garoppolo who's out with that foot injury. And man, he led the 49ers despite being injured himself to a convincing victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the GOAT Tom Brady. I think it's more the system than Purdy, but kudos to number 13 who is throwing the ball around the yard. Maybe he's just a young guy that hasn't grasped how big the moment is. Jimmy Garoppolo, though, kind of the same thing. Just comes into the system, works the system to perfection, doesn't wow you, but gets the job done. I think it might be more a system thing. And Bill Belichick had said that the one system that always gave him trouble was Mike Shanahan's system in Denver. It always gave him fits, that zone run, the passing concepts. And Kyle, using his dad's system, has really got it moving there in San Francisco no matter who's under center. So kudos to him. Number five, look out for the Cincinnati Bengals. They're coming. In the calendar year of 2022, they've beaten the Chiefs three times in a row. No other quarterback has beaten Patrick Mahomes three straight times. And the one hump they couldn't get over, their Ohio rivals, the Cleveland Browns. Well, they put them down last week despite not having T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd, two of their receiving weapons, early in that game. So don't sleep on the Cincinnati Bengals because I think before it's all said and done, they're going to make a big push to be back in the Super Bowl as the AFC representative. As for the Cleveland Browns, everybody hates the Browns. Well, everybody dislikes Deshaun Watson. Owners hate the fact that he's got a $230 million guaranteed contract, setting a terrible precedent there for a guy who has a really slippery slope as a past. Most fans outside of Cleveland don't like him because of everything that he allegedly has done. And if you're a Browns fan, you're hoping that he can get this thing on the rails. So you're going to treat these last four weeks like it's practice time for Deshaun Watson because that's what it is. Sure looks like he hasn't played in two years, but he's not always going to be this off and on. He will be good again. There's no doubt about that. And number six on the pick six. After watching some more NFL action with my own eyes, two games, Rams and Raiders on a Thursday, Chargers and Dolphins on a Sunday, a few things struck me. First about the games. I thought the Chargers, who are actually the tenant in SoFi and not the owners like Cronky and the Rams, I thought their dressing room was better. I thought their game presentation way better than the Rams, like night and day. And it struck me that the Riders locker room is actually nicer than both the Super Bowl champion Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers. That's no joke. The Riders facility inside a mosaic is better. Now, granted, the Rams and the Chargers just use those dressing rooms during the game day. So they don't have all the bells and whistles, maybe, because the Rough Riders have to use it throughout the season, whereas the NFL teams have elaborate practice complexes. So maybe that's why. But yeah, the Riders dressing room much better. The game presentation with the Chargers better than the Rams game presentation. Raider fans are annoying. They're annoying. Loud, passionate, cocky, belligerent when they lose. They reminded me of, I'm not going to lie to you, they reminded me of sitting at a banjo bowl in Winnipeg when they're all annoying like that. As for our game, like I started to talk about, our game is better. The CFL game is better. 
Our kicking game is not obsolete. You need to do something with the football. I think I counted in the Rams game, there were three kickoff returns and one punt return. And in the Chargers game, there were a couple of punt returns. And I don't remember a kickoff being returned in that game. Everything through the end zone. It's boring. It's boring. And that extra down makes it more boring. Yes, they have world-class athletes. Justin Herbert, one of the best quarterbacks on the planet. Way better than anything you'd see in the CFL. But by and large, our game is better better we just got to promote it better we got to do what the nfl does on a smaller scale add djs always something going on Uh, older fans won't like the noise and all that type of activity i know that for a fact oh it's too much it's too much but guess what they already have the older fans in the cfl they need the younger fans the nfl has the game entertainment down to a science You go for a party and watch the game. In the CFL, we tell you when the game is on, you come watch the great game, and we might do a few things around it. Riders probably the best at it. I think they could do a better job. Every other team could do a way better job. You got to promote, promote, promote. Messaging, that's what it's all about. I love both games, but I tell you what, we don't give our game. The Kings of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the Sports Cage, Corner 12th and Rose, wherever you're listening, however you're listening. We appreciate it. The number one sports show in the province. 936-6262. Our text line brought to you by Capital GMC Buick Cadillac. The corner of Rochdale and Pasqua. Holiday season, holiday parties, food for your holiday party. Check out Western Pizza. Thanks to them for getting on board. They sponsor our hotline, and it's time for this right now. Every time Saskatchewan gets in second or long, they've been bringing Glenn Suter up on the outside. Sometimes they blitz him, sometimes they don't. But when he's blitzed, he's had success. And it's picked up by Suter. He runs it out of bounds. It's time for press coverage as former writer greats and veteran CFL football broadcaster Glenn Suter shares his unique and passionate perspective about the league we love with Rider Nation. Now, I wasn't here yesterday, Suits. Some of the fans were obviously maybe a bit of a different audience here. Uh, we'd be naive to think everybody listens all the time. Uh, I don't want to get too much into the John Gregory because you probably talked about that yesterday, but you can always honor a man and... Uh, I would just say I've had uh, your old teammate Farrell on earlier and Normie Fong on earlier. I would say this, and you probably agree, probably the right coach at the right time for the team, right? Yeah, absolutely was. And, yeah, we talked at length yesterday, and I I brought up a couple of stories where, you know, that, you know, John Gregory for me personally was one of, you know, you have a handful of coaches if you're lucky. If you're lucky as an athlete growing up, you're going to have maybe two or three coaches that believe in you, give you the opportunity, help you through some rough patches in your athletic journey. And for me, it was two. It was my high school football coach in North Vancouver, Earl Henderson. And it was all, it was John Gregory was the other one. And, you know, I don't have to, to go over the story again, but just, just how important he was to, you know, believe in me, give me a chance to redeem myself after a, a selfish decision in a game. And, uh, you know, and, and he, I think he treated every single player as a person first and a player second. And, and that's really what I'll remember of, of Coach Gregory, that first of all, he was such a tremendous positive influence on my athletic journey. But um, the way he brought our team together and, 
you know, I, I've been trying to think about, and I heard you talk to, to Jeff Fairholm, who, uh, you know, great teammate of mine, and, and I've run into him a couple of times of late, but, um, and I thought it was interesting how he talked about, do you need, do you need a, a, a real hard on you type coach, a guy that's going to, you know, uh, really push and get on you and get in your face and, uh, you know, be shouting and screaming and things like that? Or can you have a coach that's a good guy and still get – and he does, will he still get the respect of the room? And I heard you guys talk about it because it's interesting, and I've been thinking about it because yesterday we sort of made the comparison with Michael O'Shea that he has created that sort of culture in Winnipeg that John Gregory did at that time for us and that we had a room that was, you know – together and respected each other and didn't want to let each other down. And I, and I started to think, you know, what are the criteria to, for a coach to get there? Because we've seen lots of coaches back a player, but I, I, I think, I think the difference is Gregory, Mike O'Shea and coaches like that, they recognize the type of character they need in the room and they will quickly weed out who's not fitting in and add the type of player that will fit in. And, and that judgment is so important because it happens before the guy gets in the room and either disrupts it or brings it even together, even, even tighter. So I I really think it's that, that ability to recognize, um, you know, recognize high character guys and even if there's one that's a little more skilled, a little faster maybe, or could jump a little higher than this guy, but this guy's got such a high character level, a high character that I'm going to bring him in instead of the faster guy. Yeah, good point. I, I think that's what Gregory did. Good point, good way to put it. You'd know better since you were in the locker room with him. This is Glenn Suter, press coverage. Um, so um, I wanted to talk about this. Uh, Kelly Jeffrey is the guy who's now the offensive coordinator for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, raised in the Texas area, bounced around NCAA, met a, met a lady who became his wife, and that's why he came up to coach uh, Mount Allison. Uh, small, uh, less than successful program when he got there. Uh, Toronto, uh, friends with Milanovic, and then Edmonton, and now Saskatchewan. And if there's one area in the Riders' season last year besides linebacking core that was really successful and consistent it was the running back fullback room like that was you know the running back room that he was in charge of was pretty successful we're so quick to dismiss guys that aren't names like you know jordan maximic well he's now turned into something um and pers- my grandpa always told me there's lots of different things but there's a couple things that he always stuck with me you only get one name so cherish your name because you only get one name Okay, uh, do 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 something well with it. Number two, nothing good happens after midnight, so he's usually pretty pretty right with that. And percep- yeah. perceptions, everything, and facts are negotiable, and it's perceived that he is the last choice. Now, did the riders go after other guys? Yes. But as it turns out, it looks like Mark Mueller was probably always going to stay in Calgary, place he's been for 10 years. He got a raise, and he is now probably going to get some play-calling duties with Dave Dickinson taking on the GM role. So there you go. He was never leaving. Comfortable, surrounded by smart, brilliant football minds. He's there. 
Kahari Jones was probably never coming here in the first place because he was a package deal with Bob Dice. Pete Costanza, from what I understand, probably was never coming here. His girlfriend wants him to stay there. Uh, probably use the riders for leverage to, to make more money. So perception's everything and facts are negotiable. I think we give this guy a chance. We might be onto something here with this Jeffrey guy. Yeah, every, every single one of the names that you mentioned at one point in their career were in Kelly Jeffries' position, which is a guy who is still a little bit unknown and has been, you know, in a lot of different teams, in a, in a lot of different roles on both sides of the border, which is good. I mean, that's the type of experience you want to have in your room that has already learned the differences and the nuances of, of Canadian football as opposed to, you know, playing down in the U.S. with four downs. So, uh, that that's already achieved, and, and I and I'm with you. You know the the actual um, you know ranking or or is it is it perceived that he was the last choice or the last guy available? Really is irrelevant. It, it really is because we don't know what happened in those meetings. I mean, any one of those guys could have walked in the meeting and said, like Mark Mueller, for instance, I don't know what happened in the meeting, but but hypothetically he could have walked in and said, hey, listen, I I'm really not all that serious. I just wanted to meet with you. I'm probably staying in Calgary. Like you just don't know. I mean, Pete probably maybe, maybe he walked in the meeting and said, uh, listen, I know you're leaning towards Kelly Jeffrey. I already know that. So I'm going to just come and have the conversation. Maybe it clicks, maybe it doesn't, but I'm going to take myself out of the running. If you guys feel strongly about Kelly Jeffrey. So we don't know what was said and, and what happened in those meetings. And to be honest with you, it, it really is irrelevant what you think he was in the pecking order as far as, you know, guys that the team wanted. It, it, it doesn't matter. Every guy needs his first chance to really take the keys and, and run the offense. I mean, Buck Pierce, when Paul Lapolis left Winnipeg, Buck Pierce had never been an OC and, he's, and a play caller, and he steps in. He turned out pretty good. And now Buck Pierce is already talked about as a next head coach type guy in the league because he's been such a great coordinator. So let's give Kelly Jeffrey a chance. Let's see what quarterbacks he's working with, and that's going to be the next step. Well, sometimes people uh, look at the people's credentials. Like you mentioned to Buck Pierce. Well, he played in the CFL. He must be a good coach. Dave Dickinson played in the CFL. He must be a good coach. I don't know that Andy Reid ever played in the NFL. Did Andy Reid ever play in the NFL? And Andy Reid is talked about as the greatest coach in the NFL right now. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's you, yeah. you, you just can't go by that. So, absolutely. Uh, here's a question for you. on In that same category because the the perception is once again the word of the day with Glenn Suter's perception the perception is nobody wants to come here because the coach and the GM are in a one-year deal so this is what I got from fans on my trip this is what I get from fans in my inbox is that going to affect free agency I don't think it will people still want to play football they want to play where it matters I was in the Rams and the and the uh, Chargers different dressing rooms the, now, granted, they just use those on game day. It's not their team headquarters. But the actual dressing room and the facilities at the stadium, way better at Mosaic Stadium than the Super Bowl friggin' champions in the state-of-the-art stadium. That is not even me making that up. Everybody to a person said, wow, the Riders dressing room, way better. So where I'm going with this is I don't think free agency, that's going to have much of a bearing, especially with one-year deals. No, I don't think that has anything to do with it, really. I mean, Mike O'Shea went right to the end of his deal before he got renewed just recently in the last couple of weeks. So, you know, I mean, 
he, he was he had he was in front of his team every day throughout the last season with his contract ending at the end of the year and it didn't seem to bother any of those guys. You know, I mean, it, again, it really doesn't matter. I, I, I think even for uh, a coordinator or assistant coach that comes in, I mean, you could you could spin that and look at it the other way. If they're in a one-year deal and you really show well in the first four months of the season as an offensive coordinator, maybe you'd be considered if they do make a change at the end of the year as the next guy to step in from within. You know that you've you've shown enough in three or four months of the of the regular season in twenty three that you'd be considered as a head coach if they wanted to make a change. So I, I don't I don't buy it. I, I just and and as far as players go, let's do a little pecking order, Michael. Let's do what the players would be looking at. First of all, they're going to look at competitive teams, teams that they think you know when when they are added to the as another piece to the puzzle. And that's why I think the quarterback situation is going to have to be dealt with right away in the new year um, and, see, and see where that lands as far as what the riders end up with. Uh, but once that's done, you know, I think your, your free agents are looking at it and saying, well, listen, it's a great facility. It's a great place to play because the fans are outstanding. And this narrative that the fans make it more pressure, oh, my God. I mean, there is no more pressure that you put on your on as a player than you put on yourself. So you know the the fans in Saskatchewan is a major plus. Every single player wants to play in front of a packed house of crazy fans that are going nuts. And yeah, there is another side to that. They're going to be engaged, and if you don't play well and you lose games, they're going to be angry, and they're going to tell you. So that's okay. If you can't handle that, you're in the wrong business, really. Yeah. I mean, it's going to hit everybody differently, and you, you have to handle it. You have to work, work, work it out. But at the end of the day, that is a plus. So players look at, do we, is there going to be a good team there? Yes, the coaching staff is considered. I wouldn't say it's, it's second or third. What's the location? How close am I to home? Will I be able to bring my family up a couple of times? If the money is is fairly close, those are things that they're looking at. They're not they're not looking at well. How long does one of those coaches or general managers have in their deal? Like, what if that shape? Like, mm-hmm. no, they're not doing that. It's we're, just it's way down. We're going to take a break. Be back with a couple of more things I wanted to get to with Glenn Suter, including the schedule. This is the Sports Cage on six twenty seven. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Press coverage brought to you by Quality Tire. Good buddy Randy over there with nine locations in Saskatchewan to serve you. QualityTire.ca. Got to go over and see Randy, get myself some winter tires here. Here's another, what do we call it, blizzard coming into town? I guess I know it's in L.A. I don't know what blizzards are all about. Uh, anyway, uh, Suits. I was in LA. I got. To, I was happy. I got to see two different football games. Uh, Charger fans don't get enough credit. They get banged on for just kind of be, you know, Johnny come lately. Kind of not really passionate. I walked through their tailgating. It was outstanding. A lot of fans came up from San Diego. Much better ta- a presentation in the Rams game. But I want to talk about the game, the CFL game is far more superior to the NFL game in terms of the game. The kicking game, I I counted. I saw, I think in two games, I saw four punt returns. I saw three kickoff returns. 
That's embarrassing. It's boring. It's embarrassing. The, the, the CFL is a much better game. I, I can say that unequivocally. I don't care who jumps on me. I believe our game is better. And four downs, you can have four downs. And I like both football. But my three downs, way more exciting. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, I've, I often say don't, you know, we don't have to compare. But in the, in the fact that you've, you've just been down there and you've got a chance to actually sit in the stands, and be a fan and, and say, what is this experience like? And I did that when my son was in Nashville. I, I'd go and see the Titan games and had so much more fun outside at the tailgate and, you know, around the stadium in the lower honky-tonks that were walking distance and everybody's in their, in their jerseys and talking football. That, that was sort of the fun part. And then I went and sat in the stands like you did in San Diego and, or in LA, and you and you guys sit in there, and you're like, uh, "Wow, this there's a lot of stoppages. There's a lot of time that that we're just kind of looking at the field and people mulling around, and it just in the kicking game is is just irrelevant. And then, you know, if it's a one possession game, even with three minutes left in the game, you you pretty much have won. It's game over. If you have the ball in the lead with two or three minutes to go. In the NFL, it's it's done. It's and crazy. I, it's crazy because the Chargers yeah. were the Chargers were driving and they were inside the red zone. And I was hoping they would settle for a field goal instead of a touchdown because I thought, okay, there's two something left. If they can bleed the clock down inside of two minutes, they kick a field goal. It's a two possession game. She's all over. There's no way Miami wins. It was it, that's ridiculous. You'd rather see a field goal than a touchdown, but that's exactly how it worked out. In CFL, you could score two touchdowns now. What they do have over us, Glenn, and it's money, so you can't compete that way, but they do have the game presentation down. We need to take a little bit of that and make it. They've already got the older guys like me and you. First of all, we work, so we're at the games, but just guys in our age bracket, we're going to go to the game because we love it. We need to get the next wave of young fans. We need to create that party-like atmosphere on a smaller scale. We need to do a better job. But we can't even do the little things right, Glenn. Like the Super Bowl champ Rams play the first night of the uh, the season. They are the featured game on a Thursday night. We open it up, all the pomp and pageantry, bring people back to last year, tie it into this year. The Toronto Argonauts do not play from June 1st to June 18th. The champions with a great, great cup game don't even they don't even play in week one. What? Yeah, that that's that's not ideal. There there's some things I like about the schedule, Michael, but Oh, did we lose you? Did I lose you? Yeah, you're there. You're there. Yeah, you're you're a little bit uh, faint now. Sorry, do I hear did yeah, I did yeah, I lose you? Got, you, there? you got yeah, me there. Yeah. You got me there. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry about that. There's there's a lot that I like about the schedule, but there, you know that is obviously a miss. And and again, I, you know when you talk about the difference and and we look at the NFL and what they've done over the last two or three decades is they have messaged correctly. They have always said like like let's just I'll, I'll keep it really simple. I mean, at the end of every Super Bowl, the commentators will call the team that wins the world champions. They are not the world champions. They are the champions of the NFL. They are Super Bowl champions. That's it. But they don't care what we think or what I think. They say we are world champions. You know what we say? 
we say our game's broken. We got to fix it. We're trying to fix it. This is what we're doing. Our game's not broken. I like the schedule. Here, here's what I like about the schedule. I, I don't like that Toronto doesn't play for that long. That's a miss. But I love that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all through the summer, there's a game we're going to own the weekends throughout the summer, including Sundays. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be real interested. I'm real interested to see what um, what the playoffs, what kind of ratings we get for the playoffs in, in, on Saturdays. Yeah. So uh, we got about a minute left. Bo Levi Mitchell's got to make a decision by February. Bo Levi Mitchell wants to win championships. Probably an easier chance to go through the East. Not saying it's lock, stock, and barrel, but it's a it's an easier path to the Grey Cup. But, Mr. Suter, he only gets to play Calgary once, and that's in Hamilton. The Riders play Calgary three times, once here, twice in his old stomping grounds. I'm thinking when he's deciding, that's got to be a factor. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think he wants to play uh, Calgary. I think he wants to play against Calgary, and I think he'd love to play him as many times and face him in the playoffs if he could. Um, you know, that's what competitors do. That's, that's not just Bo. That's, that's, but he certainly has that edge. But uh, it's just, if, you've, if you have that competitive edge enough that you are in the, in the pro level, at the pro level, then you have that in you that y- you get, you have an organization tell you, thanks for your service. We're moving in another direction. However they word that, it's bothering him. It's bothered him since it happened. It's going to bother him until he gets a chance to play against them. And if he gets to a team that plays them three times, that is a major factor in my mind for him, his decision when it comes to free agency. Talk to you again, Glenn. Thanks for your time. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Michael. Glad you're back safely. Take Thank, care. Thanks, buddy. Glenn Suter joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. When we come back after the 6 o'clock news, it's our buddy Arash Madani, coast to coast in the sports cage for Saskatchewan Lotteries on 620. I love the smell of my pump in the morning. This is where the fun begins. I don't want to gain another yard. 620 CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. All right, we're in downtown Regina in the corner of 12th and Rose. So further down 12th between Winnipeg and Broad, right where the Carmichael Outreach Center is, in the alley adjacent, there was a Apparently, according to eyewitnesses, kind of an explosion, and there's a fire there. So we'll keep that in mind if you're in that area. I'm sure fire crews are already on the scene because they're really good in this town, and that area will be blocked off. So hopefully we don't have any details on injuries or anything like that, but there is a fire on 12th between Winnipeg and Broad right around the Carmichael Outreach Center. Talk to to the uh, custodian over there said he heard a loud bang and then there's a fire there so uh keep that in mind all right let's get to this time now for coast to coast with Arashma Danny, our weekly chat with a guy who has covered it all from hockey night in canada the olympics world series baseball and everything in between this is coast to coast with Arashma Danny. this is the number one sports station in the pro- uh, uh, province, we are the number one sports show 
with a bullet. And one of the reasons is Arash Madani joins us twice a week. And he gives us reports that nobody else gets. And when he gives us reports, people dismiss him as a troublemaker and a guy that stirs it up and he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he's always negative on the CFL and believe half of what he says. Well, believe most of what he says. Because a lot of times people dismiss him to try to make you think, ah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then they backtrack. Like the Calgary Stampeders are doing. Because two months ago on this show, when we were talking about where does... Right around the time, Arash, when Bo Levi Mitchell was supplanted as the quarterback, and maybe a little Mm -hmm. bit after that, we were talking about where does he end up? Saskatchewan would be a nice place. You know, maybe Mark Mueller comes here. And you're the guy that said, whoa, whoa, balls, it'd be great to have Mueller here. But hold the phone. He'll probably get a promotion because Huffnagel's going upstairs. At that point, Calgary denied it, but looky here, that's what happened. Looky here, and Dave Dickinson takes over the the GM role. I wonder a couple of things about this, Ballsy. I wonder how arm's length John Huffnagel can be. Like this is well, he's a consultant. He's a consultant, right? He's kind of like a Bruce Arians consultant. Yeah. Yeah, and who's going to get final say? Well, John Won't Huffnagel. John Huffnagel. And let's another thing I didn't like about Calgary, and far for me to tell them how to run their business because they're a pretty stable franchise. Huffnagel's great at what he does. He owns the league since he got into it. But remember when Dickinson got sick and Killam was on the sidelines as the de facto mm-hmm. head coach, but John had to be on the sidelines too? And guess what? Do you know what happened that day? Mark Mueller called the offensive plays, not Pat Delmonico. Who I'm told hasn't called the offensive play at all since he's been there. He's the OC in name, but not the Mm -hmm. OC. So I I think, I mean, let's be honest. I think Mules probably knew that all along. He came here for the experience, and he came here to get leverage, to get more money and a promotion in the place that he likes to be in. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting about Calgary when you talk about how well run they are. Two things. If you want to look at the positive side of it, look at what the Calgary kind of coaching tree has become. Ryan Dinwiddie wins the Grey Cup this year. Basically earned his chops with the Stampeders. Hey, had a cup of coffee with the Alouettes too, but that's where he really turned into a football coach. Corey Mace, that defensive performance in the Grey Cup got Corey Mace a head coaching, not only a head coaching interview, but it also got him a finalist in Ottawa, and I'm told they were quite impressed with Corey Mace. Mark Killam's the name that always comes up. Now Mark Mueller. I mean, it's just on and on when you kind of look around at that Calgary situation. Not many of them leave, but when they do, there's success. Isn't there pause for thought a bit on Mark Killam? Like, this was a guy everybody was talking about as the next guy in waiting, and he never got a sniff anywhere as a coach, at least to this point, depending what happens in Montreal. Yeah, it's... Look, I, I look at that list in Montreal, and you know what I see? I see Danny Machocha loyalists and people that Danny's been around a long time. He and Noel Thorpe have been attached to the hip. Danny coached Byron Archambault at the University of Montreal. Um, 
Jason Moss and Danny Machocha go back to their Edmonton days when Machocha was the head coach when they when Moss was the backup to Ricky Ray in 2005. Like, hey, hey, look hey, at hey, the people. hey, 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 who was those very close to Machocha over the years? Who was the first guy that reported that Jason Moss would be a leading candidate? Who was that guy? Do you remember who that guy was? Oh, I do. Arash Madani. That's good. I love it. So, Madani, enough of pumping your tires. Uh, let's, yeah. pump, let's pump Kelly Jeffrey's tires. Why should Kelly Jeffrey be given a chance? I know why you should be given a chance. Bouncing around both NCAA and U Sports football. Uh, highly touted by a guy who's in the NFL now, Scott Milanovic. Uh, mm-hmm. He knows both versions of football. I think he's a really good guy, and I will tell you this, he ran the most productive unit on offense for the Riders, the running back room. And, look, I'll, I'll just tell you this, some background on Kelly Jeffrey, and I think you know, some, some listeners may be saying, okay, well, what does university football have anything to do with what he's going to do with the Riders on a one-year contract when their offensive line's a mess and nobody knows what's happening with quarterback, et cetera? But just hear me out on this. Kelly Jeffrey went to Sackville, New Brunswick, like 15 years ago, okay, he spent a decade at Mount Allison University. He took over a program that had just lost 105 nothing to St. Mary's. And the next thing you know, Mount Allison went to back-to-back national bowl games and won, had won the Atlantic Conference title. Kelly Jeffrey not only completely turned around that program, but Mount A, like they didn't have enough footballs for practice. Their 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 field was this mud pile. Kelly Jeffrey came in, they had some success. They turned that field, they, they completely revamped Macaulay Field. It's a brand new turf field, it's a brand new scoreboard. Kelly Jeffrey is a builder. Kelly Jeffrey is a good football coach. Kelly Jeffrey understands how to attack a situation when it is far from ideal, which is what the rider offense is. Now, the pros is not university football. Uh, the CFL West division is not the AUS. But what you have there is somebody who's willing to take on a challenge and not going to use any kind of excuse. At Mount Ada, the smallest program in the country, they had the smallest budget in the country, on and on you could go. They had success. And, and I... I know it seems on the surface everybody turned down the job and Kelly took it. I don't think that matters now. What matters now is he's your guy, and I think as the guy, he's going he's going to do as as well as anybody else could based on the personnel that they're going to give him. See, and I have people saying, well, there's no way Bo Levi Mitchell's going to come here to Saskatchewan with this guy being the OC, but this guy has coached NCAA football. He has coached U Sports football. He has been in the pros. And from what I'm told, Bo Levi Mitchell is looking for more collaboration, more say in a playbook. I would think Mm. this lines up pretty good with a guy that's a new offensive coordinator, probably willing to work with a Hall of Fame quarterback to get himself another contract as an offensive coordinator in professional football where there are only nine jobs. I would say that outside of anybody from the Stampeders going to a situation, a la, say, if it was, I don't know, Killam and Mueller coming in as a package deal as head coach in OC to Saskatchewan, I, I, I don't think that any coach is really going to tilt the scales for Bo at this point. The overall situation is going to. 
And look, Hamilton's putting on the full court press. You saw what they did over the weekend with his name up on the jumbotron and yeah, yeah. real estate agents, and you know the full the full recruiting pitch is on. But in at this stage now, I don't think you can connect any dot with staff, coaching staff in Hamilton or Saskatchewan being something that's really going to tip the scale. Well, it's going to be the overall situation at this point. It's an interesting thing because Bo Levi, or sorry, Bo Levi Mitchell up in the air, he's going to test free agency. We know the riders are very interested. I mean, we assume they're interested, but I think they'd be foolish if they weren't interested. Not often does a 32-slash-33-year-old Hall of Famer with presumed gas left in the tank come open on the free agent market. But it's interesting for Jeffrey because he takes over a job Without a quarterback. Like, he doesn't have a quarterback. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a quarterback. Interesting. He doesn't have a quarterback. He doesn't have a quarterback. It, I mean, it really is. And if not Bo, if Bo decides to go to Hamilton or go to Toronto, you've got to think it's going to be Cody, don't you, Bolsey? Well, I don't know. Apparently, Coach Dickinson was on with us yesterday. He said Jeremy and, and, and Cody met, but he and Cody didn't talk till after Cody made the comments that he was um he hadn't talked to the riders and I, I you think Co- you can they do a Jimmy Garoppolo? I can't see I think it's a like what did you tell Cody Fajardo at the end of the year when you didn't play him the last two games? Right. And it, but but here's the thing. If it's not Dane Evans who else is it if Bo ends up in Hamilton or Toronto? Nick Arbuckle. I've said all along it's Bo or bust. Guess, yeah. It's Bo or bust. By I, the way, by the way, I saw the schedule came out today. <laughs> and and, and Ballsy, let's think about how we started this segment. So let me ask you this. In its infinite wisdom, mm-hmm. in their infinite wisdom over at league headquarters, coming off a weekend where Hamilton did this complete pitch to Bo to come, come to Steeltown, how on earth do you have a schedule where the Ticats don't go to McMahon Stadium this year? Okay, so that leads into the, what I was talking about earlier. Glad you got on the ballsy uh, thought train here. So the ballsy this, Express? this could weigh into Bo Levi Mitchell's thought process. He wants to win great cups, but he also wants to kick Calgary's butt. And he only gets to play <laughs> Calgary one time in Hamilton. He doesn't even get to go to Calgary. So... In Saskatchewan, the other place where it matters, where he wants to go, where it's probably going to be a competitive offer and then way better off the field. I don't think it'll be. It's Here he's an NFL quarterback. There he's just some guy that people might know or might not know. Let's be honest, okay? So, mm-hmm. so you get to play Calgary three times in a season, in the regular season, twice in his old stomping grounds. You can't tell me that won't weigh into his decision. I think it weighs a little bit. I don't think it weighs as much as you would think. It's the overall situation because Bo is going to be looking for a Caleros-type contract. And what I mean by that is Bo is going to want guaranteed dollars in the second and third year. So he's not just coming in to, you know, to stick it to his former team. He's coming in to look at, look at the long haul. But, My but, bigger but, point but, 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 okay, but let me stop. Let me stop you. Bo Levi Mitchell, if he wants to win like he's talked about, has got yep. to realize he can't get all the bank. He's got to have people around him to win, especially in Saskatchewan where they got to rebuild the line. Yeah, yeah, but guess what? Zach got bank. And it seems like they're re-signing everybody over there, aren't they? True. 
It's true. Anyway, what were you going to say? I cut you off. I apologize. Yeah, I just I, – I, I was really disappointed by that. I mean, it just showed uh, that – that Hamilton's not going to Calgary. I mean, how, how do you below that? that? What about Toronto not playing on the opening week, your Grey Cup champs? That would never happen in the NFL with the Super Bowl champ. They wouldn't get a bye in the first week. Yeah, way to, way to really use the momentum. Um, but the, look, McMahon has had its McMahon Stadium, even amidst Calgary's regular season successes the last few years, um, has had attendance issues. Why wouldn't you put Hamilton Calgary week one? I have no idea. But that, you know, that's my that's my question. We're running short on time. We're going to have lots to talk about on Thursday. Stripling, more soccer, everything like that. We'll know the matchup for the final by then. Um, but let me bring this up to you. Who's the Who's the team, in your opinion, that could be dangerous that not a lot of people are talking about? In the NFL? Yes. Let's go think about this. A year ago, they started the year seven and six and ended up in the Super Bowl. This season, Joe Burrow had to get his appendix out right before opening day. It took them a while to get going. The Bengals just beat Kansas City again. Burrow is three and oh against Mahomes. And Ballsy, I don't know about you, but there's nobody in the AA, in the AFC North. That really scares me. I think Baltimore's okay. To me, Cincinnati's going to win the division. That's going to mean a home playoff game, if not two, depending on how things end up for them. Everyone's talking about the Bills. Everyone's talking about KC. Here come the Chargers. Um, San Francisco and the and the Purdy story is great. The Eagles and the Cowboys. No one's talking about the team that got to the Super Bowl last year that's playing really good football right now. All right, 30 seconds or less. Who do you got, France or Morocco, to face Argentina for the World Cup? I think France rolls them. Morocco's going to be missing some guys tomorrow. Uh, Argentina won 3-0 today. Wouldn't surprise me if France wins by a couple of goals. And then Mbappe against Messi in the final. You're talking about one guy on his way out, the next big global megastar coming up with Mbappe for France. I think we're in for a doozy if France gets it done tomorrow. This has been Coast to Coast with Arash Madani for Smart Investing Solutions. Be smart with your money. See Brian Golly. Thanks for your time, Arash. Talk Thursday. Thanks, Baldy. Take care. Arash Madani joining us. All right, when we come back, we'll wrap the show up with a couple of odds and ends. This is the Sports Cage on 620. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is on the Sports Cage. Right here on the mighty 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. All right, so let's wrap up this show in fine style. Nathan Rourke working out for the uh, Buccaneers today. Um, and he's going to work out for Arizona and the Vikings. So that's uh, that's something on the on the path there. And uh, our own buddy, uh, Keen Schaefer-Baker, worked out for the Buccaneers too. So that's going to be interesting, Blaine, to see what happens there. Yeah, I'm interested to see if he's going to get a contract offer or not. He's been working out for a few teams. but It's funny that he didn't. You mean Baker or you mean uh, Rourke or both? I think Rourke's going to get an offer. I'm not sure. Would, would, would Rourke not get an offer already? You've, you're an NFL fan. John Wolford lasted one snap. Baker Mayfield came in on like two hours practice and played. Like, wouldn't doesn't that tell you they need quarterbacks in the NFL? Yeah. I think that Rourke's, the offers are going to, like, I think, like, 
once he's done the workouts, that's when we're going to find out about the offers and who's going to be exactly offering him in the situation. Like, I still feel that Denver is the best place for him out of the places he's worked out so far. Yeah, for Work, sure. Working yeah. behind Russell Wilson, I mean, there's a lot of dollars tied up to him. They're not drafting anyone. They're not. Gonna, they're going to be spending cheaper on the back end. I mean, right now his competition is Brett Rippin for the number two job. So, I think that's the best place. Yeah, for him to inter- go. interesting. We'll see how that goes. You you want to have a guy though that's uh, where he has an opportunity to uh, to play. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Uh, where he has an op, and I don't know. You'll get that in. Uh, you know, Arizona maybe, depending how long Kyler Murray, uh, Kyler, Kyler Murray, pardon me, takes to to come back. Uh, Odell Beckham, how do you think he feels with the Cowboys releasing his injury stuff? Yeah, and then following that up with the Cowboys signing T.Y. Hilton. Isn't bu- he washed up? I watched the Colts. He wasn't good with the Colts at the end. Yeah, the Colts, you know, I, I couldn't even remember because there was a lot of chatter at the beginning of the year that he might have came back to the Colts, but then they kind of stuttered a little bit, and then his name kind of went off the radar, and then all of a sudden it was back on this week uh, when the Cowboys signed up. So, yeah, I don't know. That's just uh, I don't know about that one. That that's a that's a head scratcher. How about T- Debo Samuel? Your guy looks like it's only three weeks, and Jimmy should be back for the playoffs. Doesn't need surgery, so that's good news too. Kinda. Well, the fact he's not being placed on IR is the fact that he's got a chance to come back for the playoffs. They were talking earlier that it might be three months. If it's three months, he would have been on the IR. The fact he's not on the IR thinks it gives him a chance because the uh, the Niners have two players they can bring back from IR. One of them is expected to be Javon Kinlaw and Elijah Mitchell, but there's all there was a lot of rumblings earlier in the year that Trey Lance could have been that guy that they brought back, but remains to be seen. Right now, with the way Brock Purdy's going, you're riding Purdy all the way. Um, I think Jimmy G's he's got a shot for like the divisional wild card, but by then it could be you just got to keep with Purdy. Good thing about Debo, it looks like it's only going to be three weeks, but if the Niners clinch win this week, they clinch. They pretty got pretty much got nothing to play for after Thursday. Yeah. Argentina beats Croatia 3-0, so now our other semifinal of the World Cup of Soccer is going to be France going up against um, uh, Morocco. Morocco, so that'll be interesting. Riders' schedule is out. Uh, they open up in Edmonton against the Elks June 11th, a Sunday. Edmonton is guaranteed a certain amount of tickets for a win. They haven't won there in like three years, so uh, if they don't win, and they people that bought tickets in those seats get to go to the next game, and if they lose, they get to go to the next game until they win. So who knows? Hopefully the Riders don't uh, blow that one. Don't even I can't even make a prediction because the Riders don't even have a quarterback, <laughs> and we're way too early for predictions. Uh, riders have uh, Montreal doesn't come here, and we don't go to Hamilton. We play Calgary three times. Hamilton plays Calgary once. So if you're looking at the Bo Levi Mitchell sweepstakes, where does he end up? That could factor. Into it. 12 games in the NHL tonight. We'll get to your scores quickly here. Uh, what do we got here on the docket? Today is the what? Uh, 13th? Yep. Sorry, I scrolled too far. Uh, Stars and Devils scoreless. Red Wings and Hurricanes scoreless. It's the uh, Panthers over the Sabres, 1 0. Buffalo and the Kings are scoreless. Leafs lead the Ducks, no surprise there, 2 <laughs> 0. Lightning over the Kraken, 2 0. Does, does Marner have a point? That's what we got to check on here. Mitch Marner has a an assist. So what is that? Twenty five games for him now. Oh, what's point it? scoring streak? It was twenty four against the Flames, wasn't yeah. it? They haven't played since then, so it's twenty five straight games for Mitch Marner with a point, I believe. NFL cards: Kyler Murray out for the season with a torn ACL. Five games in the NBA, including Golden uh, Golden State at Milwaukee in a classic matchup. Celtics at the uh, L.A. Lakers. Hey, I want to mention a few people that were on our trip for the Sports Cage uh, trip. Um, 
And let me just find them here. I, I wrote down a few of the names. Want to say hi to Terry Kazis and his wife, Renee. Thanks to them for being our uh, chaperones and leading us around. Leanne and Mark from Esteban. Jerry, Jared, and Jalen, dad and his two kids. Uh, had jerseys for all the games or T-shirts or something. That was cool. Marvin from the Esteban area. Uh, Chris, Cody, and Cal from... Um, oh, it slipped my mind. Oh, my goodness. Chris, Cody, and Cal from... What? They were from... A, they're ranchers. I had it. I talked to them all the time. What the heck was it? Anyways, and Kevin was their buddy that came. Darcy and Marcy. Marusha's her name. Lauren from Hanley. Kelly and Brenda. Um, we had uh, Dennis and Joan from Cupar. Marcel and Pam. Sean and Kathy. Their kids went to Winston Knoll. Terry from Cardiff. Daryl and George from the Pilot Butte Rodeo. Thanks to them and many more that joined us Oh, on the uh, sports cage trip. It's going to kill me. Chris, Cody, and Cal. Oh, it's a town by Assiniboia. It's right in the Assiniboia area. It starts with a... K- k- oh, my... Cornac? No, it's going to... Oh, it's going to kill me. I'll, as soon as I shut the mic off, I'm going to remember it. Anyway, thanks to everybody that got on board. We're going to plan the sports cage trip again next year. We have the sports cage uh, tomorrow for spreads.ca. Farhan Lalji will join us and others. Thanks for tuning in. You can catch our show on Spotify or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Uh, please like and review. For Blaine Weiland, I'm Ballsy, the show for our friends at Saskatchewan Lotteries on 620.